Thank you for joining us today at Minch Wargaming Labs. My name is James, and today I am joined once again by Julian with Enemy Spotted Studios. How are you doing again, Julian? I'm I, doing I great, man. I, I, you know, I met you. We keep talking, keep hanging out, and I keep having you back on. So you must be doing something right. It happens. Acquaintances, <laughs> by chance. <laughs> keep running into each other on the on the uh, convention it's circuit. you at Nova. It was a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that you do exist. <laughs> <laughs> Their mighty beard. Yep. Yeah, man. It's, it's only longer, a little more trimmed, but it's longer now. Well, once you decide to finally connect your face with a working razor, you can start looking respectable. But until then, <laughs> I guess you'll just keep designing games for yourself yeah, here. Don't have to leave the house. <laughs> well, you know, so the reason I wanted you on is your new game, Blackout. Um, I think when we were at Nova, you actually had one of the little uh, robot models uh, on the table there, and you were like kind of showing it off. Uh, but this was before you announced Blackout, and I think Brian, who uh, co-hosts the show with me, he was up at LVO and ran into you, and you were actually I tried to get him to Kill Wager and In Country, <laughs> but you finally hooked him with Blackout, and you got the starter box there. So that's why I wanted you on to talk about Blackout. Um, but one of the first things I want to talk about is, is Blackout a replacement to Kill Wager? That that was the first game we had you on for. So what's happening with Kill Wager and why the transition to Blackout? Yeah, absolutely. So Blackout isn't a direct replacement for Kill Wager. It's essentially the Kill Wager universe. So the same setting, just with a bit of a lore advancement. So I believe we're about 40 years into the future of what takes place in Kill Wager. And at this point, combat in the universe has scaled up quite significantly. And so we needed a system that could adequately handle larger scale combat. And so that's why we did Blackout. And then we renamed it alongside uh, the events of the lore, which is a gigantic EMP Blackout. And we're like, man, that sounds super cool. Let's go with that. Okay, because I saw you did the Facebook post showing um, that the Kill Wager veterans were going into Blackout. And I guess Blackout has the giant walkie mechs that Kill Wager didn't. Is that is that the idea of the 40 years later? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you're speaking about the handlers, which are a really exciting addition we're releasing at Adepticon. And the handlers are basically, to put a product phrase on it, like, my guys, you know, that's my guy. That's literally me, you know? So it's the individuals that you would have crafted in Kill Wager using the pretty intricate armory system, kitting your guys out individually. You now have the chance to do that in Blackout using the handlers. So it's they're, they're veterans of the Kill Wager universe 40 years later. Some of them are just robots uh, with whatever's left of them, but they're here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we know we're in the same universe there. Um, how much you have a certain like style with kill wager and in country when with your game mechanics um is that staying consistent with blackout um so let's go like turn structure dice what were you looking to accomplish by making blackout because i'm always fascinated like why a new game imprint yeah absolutely so product design wise Moving to Blackout over Kill Wager was to allow a broader range of products and more interesting scale and diversification of conflict. So we wanted to be able to handle not only the similar, you know, level of combat to Kill Wager, small squads, but we also wanted to be able to scale it up larger to include those excellent duster models that we've been working really hard on, the large <laughs> robots. Um, so when we did that, we decided, like, we're going to have to completely do a whole new thing uh, for the rules itself. And with our three main goals of doing this whole new thing, we wanted faster, we wanted more lethal, and most importantly, we really wanted to focus even more so on the positioning and the real-world military tactics that you got inside of that kill wager where you'd suppress. You'd have to move closer to become more accurate, things like that. Um, but what's interesting is that overall scalability aspect of it demanded a streamlined process for every one of those goals. So we had to narrow everything down into a more streamlined process to get all of those into that ability to then go from four guys in a very in-depth, I think we'd call it intimate setting actually in the rule book, to then uh, four by four foot tables with 
platoons. We've played, you know, 40 to 50 models at a time in large scale combat. So it's a very flexible system that accomplishes all three of those goals we set out for. Okay. Because I know I'm, I'm actually trying to run a game of uh, a demo game of in country uh, Sunday, but that one you in the rule book, you have like, well, on a two by two table, a three by three table, a four by four table, and then you scale the squads out based on the size of the table. Is that what you're doing with blackout here? Exactly. Okay. Now you're talking about, I think with like uh, in country, the idea is like you have like a squad of four or maybe six if it's one of the um, meat assault shield squads <laughs> <laughs> or the Russian squads as we call them. The, uh... yeah. <laughs> but, <Oof>. but, <laughs> but how, how are you treating the robots? Because I think that's, I have to admit at Nova, you're, the robots that you were selling caught my eye. Because I think for Brian, he looked at like the troopers and he saw the infinity in there. Um, so he wants to use his infinity guys and he wants to use his tags, which have that very streamlined, sleek um, robots. But when I see your robots, I actually look at like, that looks like something Boston Dynamics would come out with. That looks like the DARPA exosuit that uh, they tried out. So it has a you have a very different design aesthetic. Um, so what was it like trying to integrate those heavy robots in there? Yeah, so it sounds like a two part question there. So we'll talk. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk more about the aesthetics first because that's the fun part, and then we'll get into the uh, squad structure and like the assembling an army part of it. Uh, second there. So the first thing is the aesthetics of the universe. So it's all grounded. The entire Kilwager Blackout universe is grounded in reality. You know, I'm, I've been in the military. I work with, you know, service members who are part of it. We try to make everything as realistic as possible. You know, even the robots carry spare magazines. They might be larger because who needs to reload when you're a giant <laughs> robot, right? But everything is grounded. They have soft armor plating um, covering their joints so you don't catch shrapnel in there because even a robot's groin is going to be, you know, if especially if it's bipedal, you know, on two legs, it's going to be vulnerable to shrapnel or small arms. And it's all just very combat focused and efficient in that aspect. So when we wanted to scale it up into the dusters, uh, the larger scale ones, we wanted to hit a good middle ground where if you want a direct comparison, you're going to be looking at, I want to say like a, like a more heavily armored, like what a civilian thinks of a Humvee, right? You know, you got okay. the big 50 caliber machine gun turret up there, you know, it's probably got armor plating on it. Like, a, like your stereotypical civilian idea of a Humvee, but you put it on legs and you provide a more organic, and I'll get into that um, integration into like a squad. So you're gonna be uh, usually you think of that Humvee, right? You're riding in it, you're getting out of it, you're uh, rocking through Mogadishu with it, you know. But in this case, this is going to be directly attached to the unit in the support capacity. So you're gonna have a squad of guys, and then you're gonna have a big old duster with them, helping them accomplish most likely that very violent, very direct action mission that it's there for. Um, but it can operate on its own independently as well. So that's what we wanted to do with it. And that required, you know, it needs to fit a man in it. So all the models that worked by design team. Uh, so we took the cockpit and designed the cockpit around a scale model, like one of our actual models. So it is to scale. You can fit a miniature in there if you were to cut it open. And then we added everything around that. So we up armored the area in front of the pilot. Uh, we made a realistic, we've made all the optics packages and anything that the robot would be, you know, seen in quotations through all around that central hub of that chassis. And then everything from there is just kind of auxiliary or extra to those designs. So you'll have um, super modular parts. You'll notice uh, there's handles and stuff on certain armor plates so people can grab them, remove them, replace them, actually integrate with them. A lot of the design influence was drawn from... I hate to say it, man, but like the Avatar films, James Cameron's Avatar suits, uh, we see them being loaded and, uh, you know, set up for war uh, in the beginning of the film. We also see in uh, The Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise film with Emily yes. Blunt. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, that's a yes, very great film. A lot of fun. Great second date movie, if I will say. <laughs> uh, those, those suits are all replaceable. Like the one guy, he even mentions he's working just in his underwear, not even wearing underwear underneath the big armored suit he's in. So it's like, I want that kind of functionality in there. So that's what we went for. And they're super plug and play, very modular kits. They're beautiful. And they've got these nice back panels, just like you would rock in the real world on your plate carrier, except you could put a mortar on the back of one. Well, I think... So when I look at uh, Blackout, it's it's the duster. That's what you're calling little mech there that stands out. It's like, okay, so you've taken a rule set um, and you've 
integrated a, a mech in there. So that that for me seems to be like the centerpiece. That's that's the differentiator here. Like I'm gonna play with giant with maybe not a giant stompy robot, but a reasonably sized stompy exosuit here. Um but that for me is like how do you capture that feel of what it's like to have a close support heavy um robot next to you there. Um so how much effort can you put into like customizing your robot? Um, I, that normally we talk about like customizing the squads or the platoons. How much can you customize the robot? You're talking about that modularity. Um, do you have like, hey, for an extra five points, I can upgrade to like a, a Gatling gun, um, smoke, extra optics package. How much can, and from a modeler's perspective, how much can I control this robot and make this robot part of my squad? Yeah, absolutely. So the basis for like, I want to say like army building or list building in blackout, there's no points. It's a simple group system. So you and I agree on how many groups we're going to bring. And that kind of dictates the table size. Obviously, you can take different groups for different table sizes. It's just going to get a little more cluttered if you have more models on the board at a two by two. So a group comprises of three units and units are represented by a card. So maybe you take, you know, three three units of manticore insertion team those are four models so you've got a 12 model group to play dusters exist outside of this grouping and that harkens back if you will to the actual design emphasis of them so you'd be taking a group and then a duster with that group if you and your opponent have agreed to take a duster in that scenario so they exist outside of it they exist on their own currently we have unit cards specifically representing the dusters but you'll be seeing as we release expansion packs and other kits for those dusters, more options for them in the future. And they work as a side grade. For example, um, each duster oftentimes has special abilities that are limited use, like the Perun, a large, heavier one that's much slower. It's got a 30 millimeter auto cannon on it, which just immediately pulps pretty much anything in the game it shoots. However, to deal with infantry, it carries cluster munitions, and that's on the back of the card, right? It says, you know, mark this box. There's like two boxes, I believe. Four infantry models in line of sight can potentially be destroyed by the cluster munitions. When we release expansions, you'll be able to actually attach a different card back to side grade that into something else. So instead of cluster munitions, maybe you have an extra charge of your shield unit that it has. And it's very functional and modular in that way where you can just lay out the front of the card and the optional back next to it and quickly change it out without having to rely on, like you said, five points for an extra optics package mm. so you can remember you see six inches further in the nighttime and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that... So with that, I uh, like the idea of... We meet at the table, we shake hands and said, okay, we're going to throw dusters in. Um, and with the extra cards to throw on the duster, do you see those cards being tied to a scenario? Because I'm I'm thinking of like Ghost in the Shell. Like, give, <laughs> we're going to go with a, what was the turn that I, A1 heavy loadout. Like, so the scenario would actually determine the cards that you would have on the duster. Like, hey, we're going into a mission. You just can't pick random stuff willy-nilly um you're going to need certain equipment to go into the mission and it makes sense um because I, I often look at games that don't have points to create um the customization and the balance as using the scenario to create that customization and balance yeah no that's a great way to approach it as well uh we will be you know rules as written whatever currently stands because the product hasn't been you know released yet the Backs to the cards and the unit cards will be up to the player's discretion. We love the literally me, that's my guy kind of thing where you can build out your own units. And we don't want to step on that at all because that's a direct hamper, in my opinion, on player fun. A player wants to bring his models to the table to play a game, right? It's not his game, it's his models to the game. And then players from there can shift it into their game. So that's how I kind of work with the rules team to develop a lot of that. So you won't be able to do it per scenario unless agreed upon. The scenarios, however, will dictate a lot of the usage for units. For example, in the scenario five, I believe, in the last scenario in the rulebook, you can only bring out a duster if you capture certain areas of the board to represent like, hey, this is now a battle worth deploying these things to. Uh, a little bit of lore, there's only like 30 of them on the whole planet, so they're big deals to deploy. Oh, okay. So you have to kind of earn that. Yeah. I I, I actually like that approach that fits in like with infinity's reinforcements the idea like once we get to a certain point extra stuff will show up 
but I like the idea of, I don't know, I would probably term it as like, you know, I, I cleared the LZ. Now the duster can show up. Exactly. It's like, all right, let's, let's, okay, guys, we got to make this work. <laughs> Otherwise the duster is not going to be here to bail us out. <laughs> and yeah. to be fair, you can, you know, I don't know how infinity handles it. Uh, I don't know what the reinforcements rule is, but to be fair, you can simply let players deploy their dusters, for example, into potentially units that have anti-duster weapons or equipment. And then you, you create a potential feel bad case of like, man, I just walked my duster right up into that rocket launcher to got nuked right away. So if you let the game progress a little bit, not only does it provide a scenario um, incentive or like theme, but you could also further guarantee that potentially those units are, maybe they've used their combat loads, which is like a limited time or limited use kind of anti-duster capability, or they are already destroyed because you know you want to bring in that duster, which creates less friction and feel bad. Because while the dusters can still be shot up by assault rifles and stuff, it's not as sudden as taking a rocket to the knee and immediately being disabled. Yeah, it's, yeah. that's like your major centerpiece to the yes. uh, squad here. Okay. Now, with that, we're, we're talking about dusters, but are there other vehicles in this? Because you, you made the comment that dusters are very capable, but there's few of them on the planet. Is there an option to like, you know what, I'm just going to bring my Humvee. It yeah. may not be as capable. It can't walk upstairs like the duster, but are no, there other vehicles? <laughs> no, no, that negative thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there are for sure vehicles planned. We have seen previews and images of the, we're just calling it the buggy. Uh, it has a designation in the lore, but it's got a pencil-mounted weapon system on it, um, like a, a Gauss M60 is what we're calling that. It's like an equivalent, and it can uh, have some transport capabilities as well. It's a multi-part kit, uh, and you can bring that. Those are going to be dictated by the scenario specifically, or if players agree to it, because Blackout as it is, is a very specific matched play setup for the idea of balance. And once you start going past those boundaries, we let players just kind of go wild because not everybody's going to have the room to bring a Humvee. So we don't want to feel, we don't want players to feel like they have to have the the buggy or a duster. Well, I, I brought that up question because forget your stupid buggy, the Oryx. <laughs> Let's talk. I saw that model. And you said limited release, hard to get a hold of inside. So I am sold. Where does that come from? Because, you know, we've talked about like Edge Tomorrow. I'm thinking more Elysium. Um, the South Africans had that little flying bird that they go around travel with and they go out hunting. So it's like, ah, oh, the Oryx. It's, yeah. uh, I, it's hard to describe. It's not a V-22 or a futuristic version, but it's not a helicopter um how would you describe the oryx and where do you see it fitting into the game so the guys who write the lore are going to crucify me for this <laughs> but as far as i know the oryx is one of the few like atmospheric craft that can exit the atmosphere you know like go ground a spaceship in uh in the, in normal people terms i don't even know okay. how to mil militarize that whole thing usually i'm pretty good at throwing some acronyms in there but it goes ground <laughs> it goes ground space that's what it can do and it is a drop ship uh in the sense that it carries soldiers and equipment and can also function as some kind of fire support platform with the weapon systems capable of it or reconnaissance um furthermore in the lore it is also very rare it's operated exclusively by, you guessed it, a South African outfit that has been <laughs> uh, co-opted into working for basically the authority force, which is more state-backed powers in the game. And it's beautiful. It's uh, eight pounds of resin. That is <laughs> at the current time. It's probably going to change in the near future as we work and optimize the designs. But I'm a big fan of um, visually telling the game and visually explaining the game through miniatures rather than relying on artwork and stuff because I feel like you see stuff in artwork and it can never happen in the game. You get that fantasy in your head and it never happens in real life. You're never going to see the dude rocking up close quarters, blasting a guy you know, over a rock wall because you just pushed a miniature and rolled a die. So we do, do our best to present the universe physically in 3D as best as possible, and that's where the Oryx came in. So limited release in the future. We're working on optimizing and making it a purchasable, purchasable product. Otherwise, stay tuned. It's very exciting. Okay. Uh, I have to admit, so your comments about the design aesthetic, when you look at it, it looks like angry people built that and use it. So, but I noticed your comment that it's uh, a limited item. What's your thought behind that? 
why this is i guess more on the um company owner game design side why limited run uh, miniatures yeah absolutely i'm really glad you asked that so when it comes to a product design standpoint of view the oryx in particular is a limited run due to the production aspect of it it's just uh so far currently you know this all may change in the future as we optimize it total pain in the butt to produce total pain in the butt to you know send out and ship especially with our guarantees because we guarantee all of our models from shipping damage and stuff like that so when you're sending that much resin at that price point because i guarantee you it's going to be above what people expect of miniatures to cost in their minds uh it's just super tough to guarantee all those things. If there's one thing we work on as a company and as our main product, or I guess you could call it service as a product, is that guarantee. We want you to be happy with whatever you know toy you just spent money on. And if we can't guarantee it ourselves, we want to limit it as much as possible so that we can provide that service guaranteed to the people and not overextend ourselves. All right. So this will be... So my thought is, given that the issues of shipping... And a lot of resin doesn't do well when uh, given to a, like a you know UPS guy or an Amazon driver <laughs> uh, as they throw it onto, yeah. onto my porch. It's the first time it uh, flies and the last time. Yeah, the orcs can fly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think your lore crafters were commenting about its hypersonic capabilities. So nice. It sounds like you're not the person to talk to about that. I, I if I ever run if I run into you at uh, Adepticon. And you're with your lore writers. We'll discuss that. But um, okay. Um, so when I see other companies do this, there's like the convention exclusive. Like you'd have the Oryx out on the table, say, "Hey, I'm not going to ship it to you, but it's here. Come to the convention, buy it." Or the um, STL files. I'm going to sell you the STL files of the Oryx because there there's a business choice you had to make there. What were your thoughts on that? Because you you have a great um, print on demand and also the STL files uh, that you get with like your Wolfpack um, subscription. Um, but why print and ship the Oryx versus those other options? Yeah, so there's a couple of things to be said initially. Um, as this product develops, there is no reason to assume it won't hit those okay. thresholds. It just become STL only. It's on the table still, uh, just to put it in plain terms. The reason why we aren't announcing it as STL is because it's just not ready to be an STL yet, in all honesty. It needs to be worked on a lot, um, and we still want to guarantee that service, even if it is an STL file. We want people to actually be able to assemble it without three pounds of gap filler and stuff like that, so we just have to work on the product more in general. We just put it out there to hype people up and introduce the universe. Well, so it sounds like you have an experimental product of unknown quantity and quality, so I'll take three. Excellent. I'll, I'll uh, reach out to you afterwards. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so I mentioned Adepticon, and you are going to be there. Um, and I always love the energy and the presence you bring to the convention scene. You're at LVO. Let's start with how did LVO go? How was that for you? And then we'll move into Adepticon. I like what your plans are for that. Yeah, absolutely. I love LVO. It was really the first con we went to. The local guys are amazing. They help us out so much. They're huge fans. You know, it's always a really good atmosphere in Las Vegas. And, you know, despite the $30 guy Fieri burritos, uh, it's which were really good in all honesty. It's just a great place to be. The convention itself, in our experience, was rough the past two years due to venue things. And some change-ups from Frontline Gaming. I'll, I'll put that up front, but I love it otherwise. And it was actually our best convention to date. We came in with a bunch of new products, and we walked away with none of it. And we had a lot of success follow-ups, um, you know, return customers, stuff like that, and uh, good media presence there as well. So it's, it was great. I got to slip away from the booth. I got to play like a, a Warhammer game that had like super tiny dudes um, and tiny <laughs> tanks, and you know. People were picking up by the armful because somebody rolled some dice somewhere, and it was it was sick, man. It was a great show. Yeah. So, LVO's success. I, I can't actually think of a in all the times we've talked. I can't ever think of you saying, "And we didn't sell out 
at a convention. <laughs> I don't think you've ever said those. It's like, oh, it's miserable. I had a horrible time. No one bought anything. We have we have a really good set of sales personnel. Um, and I, I won't be weird about it, you know, myself included. I'm I love face to face. It's when I can actually connect with people and sell them on the game and stuff. Cause anytime you, you know, you gotta be convinced to buy into a new game, especially because you're like, I don't know if my friends will play, I don't know if people back home will play. But just the ability to be like, give me five minutes of your time and sit down at our demo table, bring all of your friends, and I'll show you how to play this game in five minutes. And I'll also show you how in-depth it can get and how tactical it can get simply by the positioning. So we worked on everything down to a five-minute demo. We would let them pick up the models, even if they were the uh, the uh, excuse me, the display models, like the professionally painted ones that we photograph with, because we trust people. We open up the whole booth, and then we talk about the lore. And they sit down for that five-minute demo, and they're convinced, man. And then they turn around, and one of my homies is standing there with the starter box. It's like, let's go. And it's it's been successful. We've been upping our stock every single time we go to these cons, and we still blast through it. Okay. Now, with Adepticon, Adepticon coming up, um, what are your plans there? What what games are you going to be running? What products are you bringing out there? Because um, I'm, if I'm not going to be able to make it, I might be able to make it like one of the Sundays. Um, the co-host on the show, Brian, he's going out for it. So I need to uh, decide how much money to give him. So what what's your Adepticon plans? Yeah, absolutely. So Adepticon is unique in that we we fought really, really hard to get into it. Um and with that amount of fighting, we earned our spot and we're we're running all the way home with it, man. We we got everything we're gonna blow it out. So we've got begin with we have um I think seven events with sixty people total. So we've got all those events sold out. Uh, we're running two blackout events there that are going to be 16-player learn-to-plays with a great narrative campaign where you'll be playing in a couple of group settings. You'll see a few, you'll see a couple of orcs actually, and you might even get the chance to shoot one down using a AAA, excuse me, an anti-aircraft system, surface-to-air missiles, um, or rely on your AKs. You never know. And uh, we're going to be doing those great settings there and teaching people how to play. We've got some exclusive models for those learn-to-play events. And we also have some really fun exclusive burn cards. So burn cards are those hard plastic burn, uh, excuse me, cards that will alter the game as you play. We have some con-exclusive ones that have the same abilities as the existing ones, but have some fun sayings on them that might not be exactly uh, appropriate for the store and uh, (laughs) some cool new art for it. Uh, furthermore, we have two booths. We have one for in-country. That's going to be at the other location. That's mostly historicals, as far as I'm aware. And then we have the Blackout booth in the main vendor area. I can't remember the hotel names, but it's going to be at the main vendor area, as well as uh, a couple of our distributors and wholesalers there that are going to be carrying some stock. Excellent. So I was really surprised how fast you sold out on... Uh some of your events because it's like, I saw the Facebook posts. Like, I think the first one I heard about it, like open up my feeds. Like we only have two seats left. <laughs> like, we have no seats. Like, okay, well I'm, I'm glad I'm, I stopped to look. <laughs> you should have seen that email string at like 3 AM. I had sent to the coordinators and then to my events guy. I was like, Hey, we need to get another event going guys. <laughs> Well, you know, you talked about fighting to get into Adepticon. Um, what is that like? Um, is that really a fight or are you just speaking hyperbolically like, oh, look how hard I had to struggle? Or was it actually like you have to prove yourself as a company um, to get, I guess, almost two booths for you? I mean, you have a booth per game out there. Yeah, so no, that was spoken with hyperbole at all or hyperbolically i guess uh the main things i guess would break down would be like um a uh, company confidence company like presence and then actually getting into the space itself right so i could talk about the more physical aspect of getting into the space um communications with adepticon and i'll give them credit now they're very good it was for a while just impossible to get a hold of anybody impossible to get anything locked down i didn't understand how the process worked um just a bunch of stuff i got bounced around a lot and then basically told last year that nothing was going to work out so we're like okay we're going to 100 percent design everything around getting into adepticon this year and we did that blackout was designed for a bunch of things that allowed us to get into adepticon and we 
hounded them on it, you know, sent them stuff, um, you know, followed up on it, did everything we could, um, and then also used a lot of our resources and connections that we had generated with our past success. A uh, big, big shout out to uh, Warlord Games, actually. Um, they're awesome people, and they really helped us get into it and secure those spaces. Um, second of all, was that company presence I want to talk about and almost company confidence. So I, as the lead designer on the company, have like started sitting into a different role in the company where we've brought in new people, ops guy. We have a full-on production guy. We have a dude that handles all of our uh, kind of ordering and things like that. So I've been now... Uh, sitting in that more direct design role, but still maintaining a lot of the communications. So I do the community management of the Discord. I basically interact with the customers as much as possible to then feed them information so it doesn't get muddled in any way. I was not 100% confident in a, a showing at Adepticon 4 last year, just due to not having those people in those seats. So as soon as we got those seats filled and we saw the just enormous success with the Blackout launch, which was triple past kickstarters like right away and all the stuff i was like okay we have a huge shot at doing this we now can go in guaranteed and uh keep that confidence level because going into it not knowing 100 it, it hangs in the back of my head personally and being one of the best sales guys at the booth because i helped design so much of the game i didn't want to risk any of that or have to rely on a false sense of confidence because people can smell that people can pick it out especially in those face-to-face interactions and so we got there okay now you are actually one of the few companies that will actually travel pretty much anywhere in the continental United States uh, to demo, like in-country and blackout. So you're at LVO, you're at Nova, you're at Adepticon. Um, I know for a lot of companies starting out, that is just too heavy of a load. Like the risk reward of like paying to get into the con, how much time it takes, but do you think your success, like game after game, is tied to the fact that you make such a strong convention presence? I want to say yes. I don't have a lot of evidence other than <laughs> leads after the show. And uh, like I call them take homes. We call them take homes internally, but people that will purchase at a con, take it home and start a community. Um, those are only real like indicators of success. So I would say, yes, I have fun at the cons, but there's no real evidence to back it up and plan it out. But I, I think it's imperative, you know, that you do those things. Well, I, I just listened to like an interview of the guys who run Salute in London. And they said a lot of traders on the floor, they always think of like, well, how much do I sell the day I bought this booth? And they said, you really need to think of, I got my product, my brand in front of a set of eyeballs that six months from now will say, you know what? I'm looking for a new game. Hey, I saw that game at Salute or Adepticon. Let me go ahead and pick it up. So that's what I'm trying to connect. Of like, <laughs> Even if you don't do well at a con, is there like knock-on effects that make your attendance, and especially running games at the con, like essential? Yeah, 100%. I mean, no offense, but I mean, if you're because I don't know the context in which you relay that information to me, but if you're thinking about making your money back for the con, you're doing it completely wrong, especially if you're bringing a new game to market or a new game to uh, you know an, an entrenched audience, especially like LVO with its ginormous Games Workshop Warhammer game things going on. Like, if you're thinking about like, oh, I need to make, what was it like, you know, let's just say 2,500 bucks back over the course of the weekend. Like, man, if you do it correctly, you're going to be making way more at a much higher margin later on just from those people you interacted with that come back and purchase it online which is traditionally obviously e-commerce is a higher profit margin and they i don't think they're approaching it in a way where they look at the cost of acquisition or the cac of these potential customers you know if you really think about it your back-end products are what's going to be making that profit people buying stuff at a con are never buying your back-end products they're buying discounted starter boxes and and free rule books and whatever your your local guys have that's on hand that you ran out of and need to sell anyways and you'll send them one later you know that's what i'm talking about well so i'll i'll be honest with you i i saw the pitch for blackout um but there's been a towards the end of the year and start of the new year there's a whole bunch of different products that get pushed out so it's like how am i going to spread my cash around but you were able to sell brian co-host friend manager of the local friendly local game store he says i actually came back 
with the two-player starter pack. Now I look at it like, am I going to buy a two-player starter pack? I don't know, but I'll buy an Oryx. <laughs> now that he has those games, I've already got some of the model, like the Manticore models from Killwager. Those fit in. But you know what? I need a statement piece. So that yeah. that's that kind of those knock second, third order effects. I'm saying like that that's what really fascinates me. Like, how do you go out and troop the colors at the con and then turn that into like the other 360 days of the year that you're working? Or just like how vital that convention scene is. Uh, I mean, the, the whole, especially Blackout is a, uh, I don't want to speak too much to it because it's kind of a, I know it sounds so lame and I feel lame saying it, but it's a very proprietary product design method we've been experimenting with, uh, just constant uh, evolution and constant, um, I guess, like incremental advancements with our product design. And so it's, you know, we collect a ton of leads. We collected a ton of information. Most importantly, um, we relied on those local communities, like you said. So anybody that was like, oh, I live in XYZ, I have some friends that would love it, you know, we would make a sale and throw something extra in there. Or I would, we'd, you know, follow up afterwards, um, ask them how their event went, how their friends are doing, you know, especially connecting on the the Discord and using kind of tumblers, uh, Tumblr social channels like Facebook groups and Discords. Okay. Well, I, I have to admit, I, I did enjoy the Nova Open uh, in-country events mm-hmm. that you had there, especially because uh, you got a couple models in the uh, the Dwarf Nova Open bag, like the little uh, yes. backpack. You got a couple models in there. And then, because uh, I did your tournament in the Necromunda. And nice. so the Necromunda, okay, I, I played some games, um, did some rules I'd never done before, but I go down to in-country and it's like, hey, how's it going? Hey, let's go grab some drinks. Hey, here's some free models. Hey, let's have some fun. Like, yay, everyone's a winner. Like, you know, this is this is a fun time. This is a, you know, it, it, le- it leads a good impression. Like when you're down there, it's like, you know what? And now I bought an oil rig platform. Like, nice. That's that set rules, man. It is so nice. Sorry. <laughs> the little swingy doors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. No, I mean, on that point, it's just, uh, you know, th- uh, I don't know if you ever heard of the the EOS setting, entrepreneurial operating system, but it's the right people in the right seat, and that's even for unpaid positions, right? You're, you know, we got community managers. Um, they're 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 well well compensated in the appropriate way. You know, I'll say that, but they are technically not uh, employees, but they are the right person for that seat energetic fun we're here to play the game everybody's here to just have fun i mean a 12 year old won that tournament you're talking about his dad loved it man his dad i was murdering the heck out of his dad using some third world militia men and but he didn't care dude his kid was winning uh it's it's just all about having fun with it and leaving a lasting impression and that goodwill um i mean i can get really tactical about the marketing aspect of it but goodwill can be acquired a bunch of different ways and the cheapest one is to simply smile at people and make sure that they feel like it was a good spend of their time and i'm glad you felt that no that that really came through and uh i think you're in the right place at the bottom of the nova open convention oh, yeah. like at the crossroads of all the different uh cuz i got that was where a lot of the histor- historical games were sent were down into the basement <laughs> yeah like into the dungeon <laughs> yeah but i i don't think they realize it's like every games workshop player had to walk by you like walk by that the games you were putting on to get to the tournament room it's like this actually seems like you might think of it as a dungeon but it actually seems to be the most valuable space because there are a lot of people walking by and what are you doing especially with the yeah. tables you had set up but like the crashed airline the, uh, yes. the crashed learjet on that table that was a good one yeah just the the atmosphere of it you know i i don't mean to cast a negative view or anything or shade i guess <laughs> but like walking into that 40k hall right i'm sure there's 40k events that were just going nuts but it just seemed like everybody had their heads down and was like really <laughs> nah, nah, nah. and like i know that's the traditional stereotype of 40k from a dissident point of view or the i'm gonna crap on other game but then you come by us and right before you enter that 40k hall we're like cheering and screaming and rolling dice and going nuts and <laughs> i loved it it was a good spot nova treated us well we'll be there this year as well Okay, that that was my next question because um, I normally make a regular trip out of Nova. Um, so you're going back, um, and you're will you be bringing in country and blackout to Nova Open? As of right now, we are only planning on blackout. Um, that's because I am handling that side of things. 
our in-country team is making an effort to uh, make up their own con schedule, and Nova hasn't, or excuse me, it hasn't been planned out far enough to be at Nova, right? So we, we're working on it, but Blackout will for sure, in-country maybe. Yeah. Interesting. Why? Because I think that was... So why separate Blackout in-country boosts? Why not just an enemy spotted? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, all about brand presence. Okay. So you, um, I mean, I, I know of plenty of games that are, you know, made by a different manufacturer, but I can never remember the manufacturer's name. And it's also about um, loyalty to the system. Uh, so if you have a blackout game booth, people come up, they interact directly with blackout. Everything's blackout. I've got a blackout hat on. I've got a blackout sweater on. You know, the guy next to me saying blackout, blackout, blackout. You walk away and you're like, I'm a blackout player. I'm playing this now. You join the Discord channel or become aware of in-country later on, and it's a clear enough distinction for, um, at least based on our surveys, like 80% of people that answer the question, that this is a different game system for different players that enjoy something. Because then, even if they have questions, they ask, and somebody will answer real honestly the differences between the game. So you're creating um, a strong player base in it, and that feeds our total funnel which is at the end joining one of our subscription programs like the pack and the pack is basically you're an enemy spotted studio super fan you get discounts on the shipping you get free store credit you get all this stuff and the pack access is both in country and kill wager slash blackout the kill wager universe right those models and so you can get a good dedicated blackout fan in there they learn about it and then they're like hey maybe i do enjoy this aspect of in country and they can have a more natural progression to the other brand and share with your friends rather than being um uh potentially lost in the initial confusion of two games so when you have those two distinct brands it's much easier to acquire a customer and filter them into the secondary one in a in a less like uh i want to say like grabby way or like a money grabbing <laughs> way right like i'm not gonna be like oh you need these models to do this it's this is a setting this is a setting we don't want to cause any confusion where you maybe feel like you have to spend more money than you initially thought because that's a huge turnoff for me and i know most wargamers share that opinion all right so I think that's interesting about not establishing the connection right away between in country and blackout by the studio. Cause I, there's other companies that I've looked at and whenever they make multiple games, they always find that whenever they start a second, third or fourth game, they're actually just cannibalizing their existing customers exactly. in their first game. So that's what I was like. It's interesting. You create a distinction between the product lines and, develop an attachment to the product line, however you get to that product line, but don't, you don't want to steal the in-country people so they'll drop in-country and go to blackout. And you don't want the blackout people to give up blackout and go to in-country. So yeah, is, it, is it prevent that kind of internal cannibalization? Yeah, it just increases overall churn and it burns people out. Like if we were releasing on a, a similar schedule, like blackout in country at the same time, blackout in country at the same time, people would be like, "Oh man, this is a lot." It's, it would almost be as if, and I hate to use the comparison because I don't know their schedules, but I think Games Workshop does like Swords and Spells, and then Space Marines, like, and they do two games now, fantasy and like a sci-fi. It's like if they release them at the same time, right? But they they were very similar, right? Because in country is just modern day, blackouts like 60 years in the future, right? So if I release yeah. both at the same time on the product schedule, it's just going to be burning people out left and right. They're not going to know what to buy. They're going to want the, They're going to have to decide. And anytime you make a decision, you you affect that willpower. We all got limited willpower there, especially <laughs> when it comes to our wallets. And I just want to create a, a healthy customer interaction because that is at the core of it is you want happy customers in your Discord and community. So, Well, you know, I have seen a lot of people when you give them too much option, too much choice, it's just, I can't decide there's so much, forget it. Yeah, I need a more curated approach, and it makes like product design so much easier when you work off a curated approach. And that's our initial design with Blackout is you know give everybody what they need to play, let everybody play it out for a while, and then start adding some new things to it, like handlers. Anybody can use handlers. So you kind of work your way into these releases rather than you know getting into the game and realizing you need to buy like you know a starter box, then an additional product, then this product, and then you realize that your local scene plays at this points level so then you need to buy xyz yeah well so we know if you're going to adepticon you're going to nova open any other uh conventions coming up that uh blackout and in country will be at yeah gigantic shout out to little wars over in really? illinois little wars 
rocks. Um, it's a smaller venue. Uh, the historical miniature gaming side, HMGS, yeah. I believe. They've been so nice to me. They have some awesome people in their crowd. A lot of veteran guys that get along really well. And they just like, like some guy hit me up last year. He's like, hey, come on down to Little Wars within country. I'm like, uh, sure. You know, it's a couple hour drive for me. They sent me up with a free booth. We've made a bunch of fans there, run some events. And it's led to some of our largest communities in the States with Chicago area being like a ton of people. Like, I think it's like 40 plus players of like at least blackout there. It's, it's big. Uh, so big shout out to little wars. Um, and then we're looking at a few other ones, millennium con. We have some inside connections with historic con, um, the lone star open. I've got some friends down there. So I like to go out there for a little solo booth. Um, we'll be releasing an eventual full con schedule. We just have to bounce some things around first, but we're looking at quite a few. Come on, Julian. We're already in the second quarter of the fiscal year. <laughs> yeah, you'll see. <laughs> you should have the whole calendar year planned out two years in advance. Yes. Come on. You'll you'll see. <laughs> All right. Uh, so given that, um, we'll we'll wait for that uh, convention uh, schedule to come out. But anything you want to let anyone know about uh, that's coming out soon um, and where to pick up uh, any of the Blackout or in-country products? Yeah. Absolutely. www.blkoutgame.com, blackoutgame.com, and inxcountry, incountry.com uh, there will be your sources for that. We've got handlers coming out uh, at Adeptscon, very close, and uh, the expansion for Blackout called Wet Work. going to add some great scenarios, a narrative campaign that's been written by an awesome author, who you might recognize some of his work and it's, it's loads of fun and has some unique abilities in there, including everyone's favorite, the angry locals, the third party forces that'll come on and mess up both you and your opponent. And then in country, stay tuned. Cause we have a gigantic release of in country at Adepticon, including a bunch of new sets, our new terrain range and some interesting, uh, kind of rules additions. Japanese airborne. Fantastic. Japanese airborne. Well, those Japanese every, airborne. every time you're on, I ask you so when Japanese, Japanese airborne. airborne squad. You know, our design team does take commissions <laughs> for specific items. You know what? I've thought about that because I, I did like what you did with the uh, PLA uh, special operations guys. I, I, you know, I, the I drone. Did. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. ones came with the drone. Um, so it's like, yeah. We have some maybe, great maybe put my Eastern time forces. put my, my money where my mouth is there. Like Yeah. We have um uh, like uh there's uh like hazmat teams. We have western and eastern hazmat teams with some great realistic, I think we're rocking like mirror safety style gear. And then we have some fun uh commando models coming out, and then uh you'll you'll see the rest. But I'm really hyped. Depth or uh, Inkachi's got a great uh 2024 lined up. Yeah, I saw some of your uh new uh Russian sculpts um put out what are you, your tier one russians uh i've seen some of facebook has been pushing those in front of me recently oh. the motorcycle where was that yeah i don't know you know i'm one of those i don't actually buy online i normally buy at conventions yeah so i'm, I'm the inverse so it's like i, I want to go up and i want to see it um, no, get your little little hands on it. No, in yeah. country rocks. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be really well, good. So we got those in country events going on there too. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I'm one of those ones that if I buy online, it's very disciplined. If I go to a convention, very undisciplined. <laughs> <laughs> I will take all of this right now. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's uh, that's that's a good segmentation there, and good to good to know about. It's um, we've been trying out some fun things online and. You can do like uh you you see a little progress bar of how much you've spent and if you get the X amount it throws confetti on the screen. We're like this rocks, man. Like what's our conversion rate with the confetti? <laughs> yeah. Well now now you're using those like microtransaction what they use those in apps, like try kind of create that like gambling feel of like the blinky uh uh, oh yeah, like yeah dopamine receptor no we don't yeah, do yeah, yeah, we don't do the spin to get a uh 10 or anything no it's still just the concrete free rules amazing <laughs> models even better community so yeah that's what i noticed um blackout rules oh all your game rules are free i mean i i always buy the physical copy because i just prefer that when i uh travel but uh all your rules are for are free right correct correct yep Okay, excellent. Uh, expansions will be paid, uh, but the only thing you're 
technically paying for in the expansion is the lore and the narrative scenarios. And I can't say for certain that they're, they will all be paid because oftentimes we just donate our expansion money, any kind of like PDFs or digital products. We usually just donate. So. Okay. All right. So before we hit our hour and turn into pumpkins here, anything else you want to get out there um, about uh, the games or any thoughts on your mind? No, really excited about where things are going, uh, especially in the industry and with the communities that we're creating. We're blowing it away, doing great, and having fun every day. And I suggest everybody check out these games and support the Fight Against Veteran Suicide by donating through any of the sponsors. We like Mission 22. Uh, that's our go-to. They've been really easy to work with. And of course, we donate 10% of all sales to Fight Veteran Suicide. And I think Mission 22 is actually doing their Ruck March Challenge, so 48 miles in march so i suggest people go out there do that and uh build this community and have fun and paint your models please they look great no matter what no I'll, I'll be honest with you i i appreciate uh the giving to the suicide approach uh there's a lot of classmates we actually start talking about them now i i'm old enough to time we didn't talk about that stuff but uh you lose enough brother rats start talking about like hey this is a problem yeah, it's so, uh, growing every day, which is unfortunate, but we're doing our best. Everybody is. Well, thank you very much, Julian. Glad to have you on here, and I'm sure we'll have you on again. You're always coming out with some good stuff there. And, Look forward uh, to it, man. Excited to see you guys at Depticon and Nova Open. It's going to rock. Depticon's and maybe, definitely, inshallah, be at Nova Open. <laughs> <laughs> excellent and uh yeah join join our discord you know we cover more than just our games there it's a great hobby resource so nice all right well for everyone listening go check out uh blackout and in country um enemy spotted studios great games and we'll see you next time thank you Let's see. Okay. missing the button <laughs> So, anything you are unhappy with? Anything you want to cut? No, not at all. Unless there's something for you, um, no. I thought it was fine. I had, I had a good time. Covered all the 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 boring, must have business sides of it. But I think that's uh, you've had remarkable success. I, I find that is the, the fascinating part. So, we, I think a lot of people stop at like, "Hey, it's me and my wife and or girlfriend, both running yeah. this company, and that's just where we stay." until we die but you're actually yeah, like growing a real company yeah no it's been fantastic um i forgot to mention it but we are doing at nova open i will be hosting a game design and production seminar so it's going to be focused heavily on game design as a product design so that you can turn your passion into an actual product and share it with others in an effective manner that doesn't leave you like you know working with your girlfriend and wife forever until you die <laughs> so i'm very excited to host that as a singular person seminar um cover some of that stuff oh excellent that's really good all right yeah. well i'm i'm gonna end this recording and then i'm gonna get back to work uh